From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Charlotte Thomason and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental storytelling. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated here on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. While you listen to this week's episode, consider your connection to this land, the connections of those that came before you, and the connections of those that will come after. This week, I sit down with Grace Winena and Dalia Mualam about their community project with RISE, an initiative through the non-for-profit Apathy is Boring, aiming to support young people in making meaningful impacts within their community. Before we get to that story, here are this week's headlines. In a study published earlier this month, Gavin Harper and numerous other authors identify potential challenges with recycling batteries from electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are an important part of low-carbon transitions, tackling the substantial carbon emissions produced by automobile traffic. But the production and lifespan of the lithium-ion batteries that drive these vehicles is a point of concern. Manufacturing a single electric vehicle battery produces roughly one year of emissions from a fossil fuel-powered car. Like any battery, electric vehicle batteries degrade over time, which means drivers will eventually notice a reduction in the number of kilometers they go on a charge. For the average driver, a battery should last about 8 to 12 years before capacity reaches 80% and range is reduced. The International Energy Agency predicts that there will be more than 130 million electric vehicles on the road globally by 2030. With a rapid rise of electric vehicles, we might soon find ourselves with a wealth of reduced capacity batteries as the first wave of commercially available electric vehicles reaches the end of their life in the mid-2020s. These batteries can be reused and recycled to further the environmental benefits of the electric vehicle adoption. Batteries can be recycled and materials can be used for new batteries. Battery recycling operations are happening in China and South Korea, but it is important to remember that shipping and storing batteries comes with its own environmental hazards. Hopefully, small-scale recycling plants can help recycle batteries pretty close to home. Another potential opportunity comes from using old batteries for stationary applications. For example, Nissan is using used batteries to power a stadium in the Netherlands and streetlights in the Japanese town of Naimi. Opportunities to recycle and reuse electric vehicle batteries can also reduce their cost. With an upcoming swell of electric vehicle batteries and hopefully the ongoing adoption of electric vehicles, it's a big opportunity to reduce carbon emissions on and off the road. This week, I sat down with Grace and Dahlia to chat about their project Grounded. Grounded is a portrait series shared through social media, highlighting environmental injustice and resilience in the BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and People of Color communities in Edmonton. The series focuses on the intersection of relationship with land, identity, and culture. They are also holding an art show highlighting the portrait series and showcasing local artists that will debut later this month. Let's listen in now. It's 
sweet. Thanks for being here. I'm so happy that Thanks you, for that having you two are here. Uh, so let's just start with uh, your names and your pronouns and your role at Rise. Um, my name is Dahlia. My preferred pronouns are she, her, and I'm an ambassador under Up These Boring. My name's Grace. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm also an ambassador. Cool. Um, tell me a little bit about Rise. What is it for the folks that don't know? Okay. Rise is like a 22-week program that you've like in those 22 weeks you create like a community initiative and it's led by youth and we're under Apathy is Boring, so a nonpartisan um, non-for-profit and we just create a community program that had to do with the environment like our cohorts subject was the environment cool um, what inspired both of you to get involved like with rise or with this like topic of the environment specifically um, for me it was just more incidental I saw like a previous cohort of rise um, like I just bumped into their poster when I was walking down the street. I was like, hey, this sounds really cool. And then once I was old enough to apply, I applied. And that theme just so happened to be environment, which, you know, like you could say I vibed with that. You could say that if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I think what interested me, like the environment, I feel like a lot of the times the conversation around the environment is so like inaccessible for people. Like it's very like high level big brain cells mm-hmm. like so i just wanted to be a part of something that was more accessible for everyone and like the opportunity as like a black woman to um join that conversation cuz a lot of the times like bipoc folks are left out of the conversation that ha- like of the environment it's not something that's like we're really welcomed into so that was really exciting and like seeing rises previous cohorts were made up of a lot of like mm-hmm. Like, I feel like every time it's, like, BIPOC folks, yeah. like, majority, like, like yeah. so that was very encouraging. So, yeah. Amazing. Um, what do you think is, like, the biggest gap in the, like, environmental movement within Edmonton? Like, what do you see as the biggest gap? I think a lot of what, like, we as a hub talked about as a group was, like, we feel that there's a a very big divide kind of like racially like a lot of the environmental movement in Edmonton is based very much in like Edmonton's white core and like a lot of the racialized people are left out of that conversation and so we just we immediately saw that gap and I feel like we could have gone for a project that was more based in like waste management or uh, something like that but we saw that gap and we wanted try our best to fill it, you know, with the resources we had. Um, Because we are, like, exclusively, our hub is just BIPOC youth. Mm -hmm. So we were like, it almost feels wrong for us to not do something about this. I think, yeah, the biggest gap is just, like, a lot of the times the movements seem very, yeah, just, like, white-led and stuff. And, like, that's like seems like a problem. Like the other day I was reading a newspaper and there's a bunch of people commenting like on the climate crisis and it was like four white guys. And I was like, <laughs> okay, like I'm sure you and your degrees have a little, like mm-hmm. you have some knowledge, but yeah. like I feel like BIPOC folks just are like 
in the long run of like the climate crisis, like marginalized people are mm-hmm. going to feel the biggest impacts. Yeah. And so like when that conversation doesn't include yeah. our voices, it's kind of not mm-hmm. somewhere I want to be. <laughs> yeah. Especially like, like you said, like they're very like directly left out kind of like, it's just like yeah. a very inaccessible movement where it does like very much intersect with like a BIPOC, BIPOC community. Well, what was that? <laughs> like the intersection there is very clear. Like the climate crisis and the BIPOC community are very much like diametrically like connected, mm-hmm. and so like for that for that gap to exist just seems wrong. I think historically, um, BIPOC Black Indigenous people of color uh, have been leading these movements and have been like creating change, and yet when we look to the mainstream, we often just see these, like, very white-centered spaces and these very, like, white-led organizations. So I think it's, like, yeah, that's, like, a really important gap to address, like, especially in Edmonton specifically, where, like, there is a lot of diversity, but that is just not reflected whatsoever in, like, in the climate movement here um, in the city. And I think that that's something that, like, you folks are working on and, like, other people are also like really trying to work on like mm-hmm. closing that gap and like bringing everybody into the movement and like into into the I guess the sphere to like have a voice yeah in what's going on but, yeah so why don't we dive into your project specifically uh what is it about and yeah I guess what is it about <laughs> what's okay. it called too <laughs> Our platform is called Grounded, um, and it's just about kind of allowing the BIPOC community to reclaim a relationship with the land that they might feel kind of disconnected from, um, and also in that process reclaim, like, their identity and their culture, kind of. Um, We definitely talked a lot, like, when developing this project, we talked a lot about how um, being in, like, a city and being a minority can very much, like, um cause like a rift between you and like your relationship to that land especially if like culturally you are very connected um and it can also kind of just augment that disconnect that you feel from your own culture because you're even further displaced from it being in this like metropolitan sphere you know so we kind of wanted to create a project that addressed that and like allowed the BIPOC community to reconcile that um, so what we're doing in our projects, we um, wanted to do like a kind of an Instagram, like humans of New York type thing. So we uh, put out a call for like BIPOC folks in the community to come and get their portraits taken. And then we interviewed them about their relationship to the land. And so that's like on our Instagram And then at the end of the month, we're doing an art show where we'll have... Um, Mostly performers, I think, Mm -hmm. um, just, like, showing their art that has to do with, like, their relationship to the land. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Also showcasing our portraits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram, (laughs) (laughs) grounded.yag. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, I guess, like, so I think, like, we can all recognize that like BIPOC folk 
in like environmental movements like that is a problem that those people like aren't being included and aren't being given a voice but I'm just wondering like what made both of you like personally want to get involved whether it was like something from your own life or yeah I don't know what made you like want to actually like get involved and like see this issue and say like that's going to be me changing that rather than like like someone else I think the biggest thing for me was why I leaned more like when we were developing the project lean more towards like relationship with the land was because like I feel such like a great disconnect from the land because like I'm not from here. I'm from Kenya and I find when I'm here, like I would rather die than go outside. Like I hate being outside. <laughs> but like <laughs> when I'm back home, like I love being outside. Like I just want to be out. I'm like, let's go on a hike. And so it's just, I think noticing that and like recognizing that and kind of asking like why, like those like those why questions and that's why I wanted to get really involved in it and just like I don't know I feel like especially here in Alberta climate deniers or like climate crisis deniers come across them like more frequently and like that was just like a really frustrating um yeah conversation to have with people like when they just like don't believe in science like it just blows my mind and then like I was like this is ridiculous <laughs> so that's why I was really interested in like the environment cohort because I know I could have waited for mm-hmm. another cohort with like another subject but I wanted to do this one <laughs> mm-hmm. I think like especially when we were kind of thinking about what we wanted our project to center around like in terms of the environment we all kind of recognized that we felt that way like to different degrees obviously like for me personally I'm biracial in quarters so I feel like the disconnect I have from my land like from like my ancestral land is very like pronounced for me because I'm from here and I've only ever lived here I've never gone back home but at the same time like my grandparents are from other countries and like they try and teach me that relationship but it's like hard because I'm not there and I've never been there. So it's like trying to kind of reclaim what is rightfully mine, I guess. Like I deserve to feel that connection to where I'm from, even if I'm not fully from there. You know what yeah. I mean? The one thing also like getting involved with this is just like like indigenous folks, like these are their lands, like respectively, mm-hmm. like wherever they're from, like in Turtle Island. And it's just like if I feel that disconnect to like lands that are like far away and like I only go back there every so often it's like imagine like being from here from these lands and feeling that disconnect even though Mm -hmm. like these are like your ancestral lands like that was something that was like wild from like thinking about it um so yeah I think that came up in conversation one time too um we had like our coordinator our rise coordinator who's like helping us with this project asked us a question like um what does land alienation mean to you? And all of us were kind of like, well, immigration, refugees. And then we just kind of like, it was like a weird collective light bulb moment. And we were like, but indigenous folks here as well, like I think it's so like easy for them to be disconnected from their land because of like, just like the way 
Canadian society is. Yeah. And that's so messed up because this is their land. And, like, they don't, like, they deserve to feel that connection. And I, I feel like um, we, when we were doing our interviews, we interviewed some Indigenous folks. And I feel like they all kind of echoed the same yeah. sentiment. Like, I'm from here and I feel like I should feel connected. But it's really hard for me because I don't have that many opportunities. And it's either, like, go um, visit family during the summer and try and absorb as much as I can. Or just come back to the city and like you know yeah and that's something I think I'm really excited about for like the art show because um at our art show we have like a couple um indigenous artists and I'm so excited to like hear Mm -hmm. like what they have to say because the interviews were like amazing Mm -hmm. so I can only imagine (laughs) like when they have time to like sit down and like really yeah 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 um so yeah how do you like navigate than like being a settler or like an immigrant to Edmonton or to Canada in terms of like your connection, I guess, here and like knowing um, knowing that these lands like aren't ours um, and that we're all like technically like unwelcomed guests or intruders like in in Canada, in Amiskachibuskagan, like yeah, how, like, I guess how does Grounded, like, reckon with that? And then also, like, how do you two reckon with that? Yeah, that was a huge discussion mm-hmm. in our cohort, like, when we were coming up with the project. Because we did, like, consultations and stuff. And um, we wanted, like, we really wanted that to be a huge portion of our project, like, indigenizing like indigenizing that kind of like that conversation like putting like indigenous knowledge first but something that we kind of came up like we kind of had to settle with was like we didn't really have the opportunity to um collaborate with an like an indigenous group like environmental group um that's like one of the things about being under where we are like the nonpartisan, like a lot of groups are very partisan and just yeah. like because of the nature of like the status of like apathy is boring and like mm-hmm. the rise program like we couldn't and so like that was a really hard thing to do so kind of yeah it was a big conversation mm-hmm. of like how do we do this without just like tokenizing indigenous knowledge and mm-hmm. I think for me like being non-indigenous and just like realizing that colonialism affects me too but I can also be complicit in it when it comes to like indigenous folks like I can be complicit in that colonialism that's like that they're affected by and so I think being honest with myself and being like just yeah just I feel like the biggest part for me is like education like Mm -hmm. reading things and like (laughs) trying to like I think decolonize myself and like my thought processes and yeah that's like the biggest thing for me (laughs) I think also like we kind of faced that roadblock um when developing our project where we couldn't really collaborate with any indigenous focused environmental groups and we were like really bummed about that but I feel like we tried our hardest to get like indigenous folks to come out to the portraits because we really wanted to hear what they had to say um, and 
you can do an interview without being associated with like an a partisan group and yeah. like you know what I mean? we were really like frustrated with that because we wanted to showcase what they had to say because we all felt it was really important but it just like we faced that roadblock you know but I think like for me personally um I think it kind of like clicked for me at one point when I actually it was under after these boring I went to a blanket ceremony and I was like this is so crazy to me because on one hand like half of my ancestry is like escaping imperialist rule and like having to live in fear and then the other half is that imperialist rule you know what I mean so I feel like I can see both very clearly and like I can see the wrong there but I can also see how me as a settler like like you said I'm I can be complicit in colonialism and I feel like it's um it came up a lot in our interviews as well like lots of the folks are saying like this is part of like me like reclaiming my relationship to the land is a part of me trying to decolonize my mindset and just become kind of more centered in the fact that like I'm a settler here whether it be by force whether my ancestors immigrated whether I immigrated here I need to like take that responsibility even if like I'm oppressed by the same system what like what would having like a strong connection to land look like in like both of your lives like how do you how do you see that like manifesting in your life? <laughs> I know this is like hard. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's like a relate. I feel like relationships to the land can mean so many things. But I think for me, it's like um, feeling more of a responsibility mm-hmm. to the land and um, like something that. I feel like I don't often feel like I've, yeah, I feel like more like a relationship would be like I'm responsible for like taking care of this land and like stewarding it and like alongside of like of everybody else. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ooh. I feel like there's definitely that like physical, emotional responsibility but I feel like for me being like kind of fostering that relationship to the land would definitely have to you know like be a more emotional approach like Mm -hmm. kind of like like I said like just being very hyper aware and like understanding these small things I do in my daily life are going beyond the small act that I'm doing right now like it impacts so much more than that and I feel like that you know, cognizance will just, like, hopefully project in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) That's the goal, at least. Yeah. What do you uh, hope for folks to, like, take with them after experiencing um, the art show, like, with the the Grounded Project? I think, like, we want people to... walk away from it um realizing like that they're not like alone in like the feelings that they have like Mm -hmm. like that disconnect from the land like in terms of like the general BIPOC community I feel like that's a um a common feeling that people have and so like realizing that it's not some weird thing like it's a common feeling and also realizing that there's other people who are willing and like ready and excited to do that work and hopefully like 
I don't know, sparking some, what is that called? Some flames. <laughs> <laughs> the, f- the feeling of disconnect from land is like something inherently isolating. And so just to like, I don't know, be in like a room of people that you can see like right in front of you, like they're feeling the same things I'm feeling and I'm not alone in this. And it's not just my community either. You know what I mean? To like kind of venture out of that. I feel like before this project, I was very more so involved in like, like the Arab Muslim centric community, you know, like, and like to step out of that and see that there's so many other people like me is very comforting. Like, do you find that the communities, I guess, I cannot speak to this, but, like, do you find the the different, like, BIPOC communities within Edmonton are like, disconnected? And this could possibly be a way to, like, like, bring all of those communities to one place and, like, allow them to be able to create dialogue, like, the communities to create dialogue with each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like, in the like the black community we're like you know guys we have these problems we think this way blah 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 and then it's like hardly looking out and seeing like this there's like people are facing the exact same thing in like other communities and like not even opening the door for that like yeah I feel like I've like even before rise and stuff I always felt like, oh, like, these are just, like, problems I have as, like, a black person, but then, like, not realizing that these also affect, like, other racialized groups. Yeah, I think also, like, I don't know, for me, I do, like, I I was very centered in, like, the Arab community, but at the same time, I'm, like, I'm half Arab, so, you know, I felt like that disconnect was just very, like, intense for me because I didn't feel fully connected but at the same time, I just, like, now I understand, like, through this project, like, I'm not alone in that. And just because, like, my situation is slightly different doesn't mean it's not reflected in others. And, like, doesn't mean that I can't find that community, you know? Like, a community, like, the way, I don't know, I feel like a long time, like, for a long time, it was just kind of, like, to find people who were like me, met finding people with similar experiences like specific to race almost like I feel like I just didn't have that but like now I understand that like that community is sown in like shared experiences regardless yeah I just wanted to give y'all like an now I'll open the floor I just yeah give me an opportunity you want to like plug your event if there's something you want to say that you haven't said yet um any of those, anything at all, <laughs> any l- last statements. Um, our art show is the 29th of November at the Naked Cyber Cafe mm-hmm. in the evening. Free food. Yeah, if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? You can reach out to us on Instagram. Our Instagram is grounded.yg. Um or you can yeah and you can like dm us or whatever or you can email us at edm.rise. dot asb oh yeah edm.rise.asb at gmail.com yeah <laughs> that's fair uh cool well thanks for thanks for sitting down with me and like having a chat I'm, like, really excited to see, like, what the project looks like. 
um, on the 29th. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. (laughs) was Grace and Dahlia talking with me about their work with RISE and their connection to land in community. Their event, Grounded, will be held on November 29th at the Naked Cyber Cafe downtown at 6 p.m. Come out and support BIPOC artists and the community. For more information, check out Grounded on Instagram at grounded.yeg or on Facebook. That wraps up our episode. If you have any questions or just want to chat, Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Tara Informa, or email us at Tara at CJSR.com. Big thank you to our volunteers this week, Sonic Patel, Hannah Cunningham, Elizabeth Dowdell, and Andy Silva. Tara Informa is entirely volunteer-run, and we survive because of generous donations to our host studio, CJSR 88.5 FM. Go online to cjsr.com to donate. I've been your host, Charlotte Thomason. Thanks for tuning in, and you can catch us next week right here on Terra Informa. <laughs> <laughs>